That's what my dad says. He doesn't say Friday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. He says, Happy Friday. Man, it is, and for a whole lot of reasons. And uh, Glad to see you on a day that's not a Sunday. Um, you know, when the, the first Jesus followers met, um, they, didn't even, they didn't care what day it was. You know, Sundays were big, there's no question. But man, they could be together any time, and there's just something about being together. It's almost like we've already done church, just seeing each other. Um, don't even need a sermon. But hang on. Right? We're going to do something real simple tonight. Um, and uh, sometimes the simple things are the things that, that mean the most. Sometimes the things that uh, kind of get stripped away of, of all the pomp and circumstance are the ones that become the most profound. That's what I've been praying for you tonight. I've um, been thinking about this for a long time, the chance to be um, up here tonight and the chance to talk about what Good Friday means. Um, not what it meant just 2,000 years ago. We're going to talk about that. But what it means to you sitting in a blue pew in Bloomington, Indiana in 2018. What does it mean to you right in here, right now? Here's what I know about you. Here's what I know about me. There is too much going on in your life right now for me to just jump right into this thing. You've got too many things happening. I've talked to people who just barely got off work. <laughs> talked to people who are still wearing, still wearing Enterprise shirts. Right? I got... I don't know where the Enterprise shirt is. Oh, there it is, right there in front of me. I did. She was covering it. I didn't see it. Whatever it is in your life going on right now, whether it's a health thing, whether it's a physical thing, whether it's an emotional thing, whether it's just busyness, that's what it is for me right now. I'm just going to give you a chance to stop. Probably the best thing you can do right now is just hit the stop button on your life for a minute. And just like the psalmist said, that if you can be still, we don't do that. You can be still and just stop and be aware that there is something bigger than you around. You know that you don't even have to believe. Most, some of you do. Most of you do believe in what we're about to talk about today. But you don't even have to believe this stuff fully to get a benefit out of stopping. Because the creator of the universe is causing that peace. And it's in and around this place no matter what. Let's just stop for a minute. I'm going to give you just a couple, maybe not even a couple minutes. That's too long, right? We can't do a couple minutes. I'm going to give you 30 seconds and that'll seem like a long time. And then I'll pray for us and we'll jump right in today. I don't know why we don't do it more often, God. Why we don't stop. There's something about it that brings us perspective, that brings us a moment of peace that you've said is available to us at any moment. And that we choose right here, right now, your peace. There's lots of things this group could be doing on a Friday night. And they chose this. They chose you. We thank you for the way you love us. 
We thank you for what happened 2,000 years ago. And we thank you for what it means to us today. Would you reach across history and make it so real to us? Thank you for the way you love us. Thank you for speaking into our lives. We'll listen in your son's name. Amen. A couple years ago, I was talking to my son, Reese, and he said, Dad, isn't Good Friday, he was off school, which is a Good Friday, you know. And Dad, isn't Good Friday the time where we talk about Jesus dying really bad death? Yeah. Yeah, it is, buddy. Dad, isn't Good Friday the time where we talk about how, like, all the people were mean to Jesus and how, like, the world totally kind of lost it and went nuts and did awful things to Jesus? Yeah, yeah, that's it. Dad? Yeah, buddy. Why do we call it Good Friday? (laughs) I, I missed something with him. I missed something with him, and if we're not careful, we kind of miss it as well. So I'd like to start tonight with a question, um, and, and I want you to open your mind. This is why we had this little prayer time beforehand, because this question might catch you, catch you a little off guard tonight. And here's the question. When's the last time you slit the neck of a goat? It's not the question you thought you were going to hear, is it? Now here's another one. When's the last time you took a bird, and you, you killed it, and you laid it on the altar for good luck? You don't do it, do you? It's gross. I thought about not even saying it because there's children in the room. Because we couldn't imagine doing that to an animal, right? But 2,000 years ago, while Jesus walked into Jerusalem, like we talked about last Sunday, and the people said, Hosanna. They used this word Hosanna, which to them meant save us. You know, we, 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 don't, we just kind of lost perspective on what that word meant. It meant save us. There is something here that seems bigger than me, and it's Maybe this can save me. That's what they were saying to Jesus as he came into Jerusalem. And he knew that he was about to do something in the midst of them that God was a part of and that had been a part of from the very beginning of time. Because at that point in history, if you wanted to be right with God, if you wanted to feel good about your relationship with God, if you wanted to feel confidence in God, what you would have to do is you would have to raise an animal. And we have a puppy right now. um, And... It's just a crazy thing in our house, but we have all fallen in love with her, and the kids feed her, and they take care of her, and this is what you'd have to do. You'd have to raise a bull or a chicken or an animal of some sort, and you would raise it, and your kids would feed it, and you would, you know, it would become around your house a little bit. And then all of a sudden, at some point, in order to get the favor of the gods, in order to keep the gods on your side, in order to make sure your crops grew, in order to, to somehow appease the one who, if your wife was pregnant, would make sure everything went well, in order to appease the one who, who chose sides in victory, you would kill an animal, spill its blood all over something, and you would look up to the heavens and you would say, is that enough? Does that fix my life? Will that please you? And if it won't, what would? And should I bring more? And this was the environment that Jesus walked in Jerusalem in. People who were so confused about who God was and who, what he wanted for them that they, it's the only thing they could do to appease him. So can you imagine what the readers of the Hebrews would have heard? The book of Hebrews says this. It says this. It says in Hebrews chapter 10, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And down in verse 10. And by that, by that will that God has, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Christ 
once and for all. And then verse 18 was life-changing. This was world-altering. And where these have been forgiven, where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. 2,000 years ago, God spoke into the world. And when he did, it was about a cross. Yeah. It was definitely about a cross. It was about an terrible death, but it was about a death that, that could do something in your life today. It could give you the confidence that God is on your side. That there is nothing you can do because it's already been done. John chapter 12 is what we read last week and we hear the word save us. We hear the word Hosanna. People saying to Jesus, save us, save us. And I don't know what you feel like on this Friday. Some of you, I could see it in your eyes. There's still a little bit of that in you. Still a little bit of that missing the peace that you were promised as a Christian passes all understanding. Jesus says it's available to you in John 12. We see that word Hosanna. And I thought about it and I prayed about it throughout this whole series. What does that word mean to us today? Save us. Ephesians chapter 1. Paul, Paul begins to say, this is what God was doing when he brought Jesus. This is what he was doing when he brought him in Jerusalem. This is what he was doing when Jesus was nailed to a cross. He says, in him... We have redemption through his blood. That's the same conversation they had in Hebrews. That we no longer have to worry about where we stand with God. That we no longer have to try to sacrifice animals and go, is that enough? He says, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he has lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us this mystery of his will according to his good pleasure. God is out pleasure seeking, apparently. And his good pleasure... God's will, the thing that he wants most in life, look what it is. You heard me say it last week. To be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth. This word in all things is the word pas in Greek, and it literally means all things. This is what the writer says that God was doing when he brought Jesus in the world. It's the same thing he's doing right here, right now, today. He is bringing all things to him. He is bringing all things back to the way he built them, to the way he made them, to the peace that he had created in the beginning. It's an amazing thing. Matthew chapter 19, Jesus says the same thing. He says, there is going to be a renewal of all things. In Acts chapter 3, the writer says, until the time comes for God to restore all things. It seems like God is doing something with this Jesus, that he is moving history in a certain direction, that he is restoring all things. The book of Revelation says that heaven will be the restoration of all things, and it will be here. This is what Jesus has been doing. He has been restoring all the things. This is what Jesus is um, sacrifice meant for us, that he would restore all things. Colossians 1.9 says, For God was pleased, there's that word again, God's pleasure to have all of his fulfilledness dwelled in him and through him to reconcile himself to all things. That same word. The writer of Colossians says, Whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Really? All things? If you grew up like me, you spend a lot of time in church and with religion pointing to the things and the people who weren't in. You love to say, you're in, you're out, you're out, you're out, you're out, you're out. What Paul says? All things. What do you, what do you mean all things? 
This is how big this day was. I want to start with a story today in the midst of this um, about a man that we don't have a name for. Bible doesn't call, have a name, and I hate to have a story. I feel really connected to this man, so I'm going to call him Tim. I don't know why. He just seems like a Tim to me. And he wakes up in the morning on the day that we celebrate today. He wakes up in the morning in a jail cell, a deep, dark, dank jail cell. Religion hasn't worked for him. <laughs> the life around him, the only thing he is good for in life now is to become a symbol of what it means to go against the Roman government. He is a thief. He is a criminal. He deserves what's coming to him. And he wakes up on, on the Friday that Jesus was on the cross. And all he can look forward to is death. The Bible talks very little about his name, but he becomes one of the most amazing stories in all the Bible. And I'm hoping he brings some inspiration to you today and some new perspective this idea of all things carries all the way into Luke chapter 23. And this is where we see two other men, both criminals, Luke says, were also led out with Jesus. That morning Jesus woke up. You know the story of what happened with Jesus. Praying in the garden, saying, I want out of this. Right? I mean, this is, this is a man who was fully you. He was fully human. Do not strip him of the humanity that he had because it takes away from the story. Jesus was fully you and he said, God, take this pain away from me. And the reason Jesus said it is because he had seen crucifixion over and over and over. Can you imagine your children? This is the way the Roman government was at this point. They wanted your children to see crucified people so they would be scared not to break the rules. They wanted that fear to control you. And Jesus would have grown up seeing crucifixions over and over and over again. And he knew what was ahead of him. And he said, God, if there's any other way, can't there be another way? And God says, no. And Jesus says, then not my will, but your will. And he moves towards Friday. Two other men were with him, both criminals. Also, they were led with him to be executed on the cross. And when they came to a place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals. You know, when you see the picture of Good Friday, you see the picture of the three crosses on Calvary, um, on, on the, the mountain of the skull, you often get this picture that they were way up on the hill, you know, that they were real, real high. But that's not the way the Romans crucified people. That's not how Jesus was crucified. Jesus would have been crucified two, three inches off the ground as close to the ground as he could be, because what they wanted is for people to come and see him face to face. In fact, we, we see that happen. And when we look at crosses, there were all kinds of crosses when we see through history. There were crosses that were in the shape of the one that we hang around our necks, and we see there were also crosses without the top, because all you really needed was a place to put the arms. And then there were crosses like this one here, just a place to put the arms. We don't really know exactly what the cross of Jesus looked like. We know that he put a cross beam on his back and he carried it at some point and he fell and someone else carried it for him and we hear about all that, but we don't know exactly that. What I want to paint for picture for you today on Good Friday is this, that the death of Jesus wasn't up on a big cross where he could be alone. It was on the ground, two, three inches above the ground where his feet would have sit so that people could come to him and spit in his face. So that the Roman soldiers could come and call him names face to face with arms tied out and nothing he could do about it. 
Now, I don't know what you believe about this day, what you believe about Jesus, but historians don't argue about the fact that this man was killed that day and that he was killed unjustly and that he hung on the cross in a terrible way. The word crucified here, there's so much in that little tiny word. And the two men on either side of him deserve to be there. It's an amazing thing what happened. At this point, Jesus said something that nobody said. Nobody said this when they were crucified. It's so crazy. Many, 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 many crucifixions throughout that day. There was nothing special about Jesus' crucifixion to a lot of people that were watching until he said this. He said, Father, which is really weird. In fact, a lot of men who were upset, a lot lot of men who were dying when they were getting ready to die, you know what they would say? Mommy, (laughs) mother, mom. Jesus said, father. And it caught the ears of some people around, and it caught the ears of these two criminals who were on the cross. And as weird as it was for Jesus to yell out, father, the next word he yelled out was even weirder. It was the word forgive. He said, Father, forgive them. The criminals are yelling, hey, save us. If you think you're God, if you think you're the Messiah, if you think you're the king of the Jews, save us. And Jesus, in the midst of people spitting in his face, in the midst of crowds of people, he was not hanging 20 feet on up on the cross. He was in the crowd of people who had been used to coming by and spitting and yelling and stabbing and all the things you would do to somebody who the Roman government has said, you can do anything you want. And they did that to Jesus. And in the midst of that, he looked at these broken people. He looked at these people who were doing this to them, and he didn't curse them like the criminals did. He looked at these people who were doing this to them, and he said, Father, forgive them. It must have done something weird to to Tim, to our buddy, to our guy who I talked about, who woke up in that cell that morning. It must have done something to his heart. Because Luke tells us that that one of the criminals was yelling at Jesus. Matthew tells us both the criminals were yelling at Jesus at one point. We believe, I, I really believe that at one point he had his heart changed. Something happened to him and he saw Jesus different when Jesus said, Father, forgive them. <laughs> Luke 23, 36 says this, The soldiers also came and he, they mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar. If you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, The King of the Jews, right there above him. 2339, one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and save us. But look at what Tim says. Tim looks over at Jesus and he says, or he looks over at the other criminal first and he says, Don't you fear God? Since you're under the same sentence, we are punished justly for we're getting what we deserve. We're getting our deeds, what our deeds deserve. But this man, this man has done nothing wrong. You know what struck me when I was reading this? That these men, all three of these men were the most desperate parts of their life. And I know, I've got friends who have been desperate. I've never seen anybody crucified. I've never seen anybody in the kind of torment Jesus was in. But I've seen people who are on their deathbed and who are scared, who are in fear, and who are desperate. And you know what they say? Oh, God. Doesn't matter how much atheism has been in them. I've heard it. Oh, God. And it struck me that if these guys were saying, oh, God, in their language, 
what they didn't realize is that he was 12 feet away. And he was right there. But somehow, at some point, Tim got it. He just got it. He got it. All of a sudden, he realizes, this man in front of me doesn't deserve what he has. And if he can forgive these people, he must be God. So he looks over at Jesus. And he says to Jesus, Jesus, don't... He didn't say, Hosanna. He didn't say, save me. Isn't that interesting? He didn't say, save me. He says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And then Jesus says something that changed history. He said, truly, I tell you. Think about how Jesus would have said this. With one breath at a time, suffocating on the cross. Truly, I tell you. Today, you will be with me in paradise. What? What? He wasn't baptized. He didn't have a journal. He didn't have devotions every morning. I, he didn't rededicate his life. You can't rededicate your life while you're on a cross. You're dead. I mean, you're all but dead. He's not rededicating his life. What? But he didn't do any of the things that church people or that Jesus people who at some point, Jesus people totally hijacked this story. And it went from Jesus' love for humanity to five things you have to do to earn it. And on this Friday, Jesus looked at a man who was the worst of the worst and said, Today, today you will be with me in paradise. And the answer is all things. All things. The thing about a Good Friday is that when I grew up, it wasn't, it wasn't good enough. To me, the story of, of Jesus was about a small group of people who got to hear about Jesus and the rest of the world went to hell. And Jesus that day says, no, the good news is better than that. God is bringing all things to him. And on that day, Jesus made available a love that transcends your life. He made a love that transcended the life of Tim that day. And Jesus' answer wasn't based on something that the criminal did, something the criminal said, or something the criminal believed. It was based on something Jesus was doing in that moment. One sacrifice for the rest of humanity. Luke chapter 23 says this, we don't know how far, how long it was from the time Jesus said that to Tim, to this time. But it was about noon and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. For the sun stopped shining. And then check this out. There was a curtain in the temple. Many of you have heard about the temple. The temple was the representation of the presence of God. And there was a curtain in the temple that only the priest could go in. In fact, some people say that, that some tribes um, would actually have a rope around the priest's leg in case he died in the Holy of Holies because the priest was the only one who could go behind the curtain. It's the only person that, had, that, was, that could be behind the curtain. And if you had something to say to God, you would say it to the priest, and the priest would go behind the curtain, and he would say it to God. And the priest wasn't allowed to come out so that if he died in the Holy of Holies, nobody was allowed to go get him, so he would have to have a rope tied to his leg so he could pull him out in case he died. That's how significant people thought the separation between them and God was. And look what happens 
when Jesus dies. The curtain. This is an enormous curtain. The curtain of the temple was torn in two. Torn in two. And Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he had said this, he breathed his last. I don't know what you brought in here tonight. I promise I won't go much longer, but if you can take a deep breath right now. Close your eyes. Would you just imagine what it would have looked like to be standing in that temple? When the Holy of Holies was made available. When the curtain torn in two. And the death of Jesus on Good Friday. Took the separation from between you and God away. Whatever you brought in here. Whatever sin, sin you got. Whatever, however far you feel from God right now. The truth is. There is no curtain. And you can put one up. You can put your own up, but if there's a curtain there, it isn't God's curtain. You can open your eyes, I'm not quite done. Today, you are not separated from God. No matter what you brought in here, no matter how far you got, because of the sacrifice of Jesus, because of Good Friday, you are not separated from God. And the good news is, nothing you did to deserve it. It's available to you today the way it was available 2,000 years ago. The life you've always wanted is available. The life you always wanted is available. And the good news is that today, God is on your side. That next slide there, Dan. As we go through life, I don't know what you had for lunch today, but my guess is it was something that was alive at some point. I had a burrito, and it had black beans in it. I kind of wish I hadn't had a burrito at this point. <laughs> hurting a little bit. It had black beans in it, and it had some chicken in it, and it had a few other things in it. And, and most of the things that I ate today in my lunch were at one point alive. And they had to die so that I could live. Right? And, and the truth is, from the beginning of time, this is how the world has worked. Things die and they provide life to other things. It's how, how the seasons work. If spring ever comes, it will come because something died to enable it. And that's what Easter, that this time of year, is about. It's about a death that leads to a life. The death of Jesus that day wasn't an anomaly in the history of the world. This was God doing what God does with the world. And Jesus had said this, before he died, he said, whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. So your invitation today is to lose your life. Jesus actually used words like this, and so did Paul. You need to crucify yourself. That sounds pretty uh, drastic. He says, you need, the way Jesus died on the cross, you need to find that part of you that still believes you have to earn God. 
You need to figure out that part of you that is trying to impress God, that is trying to do something to earn God's favor. You need to sacrifice it. You need to get rid of it. You need to sacrifice anything in your life that isn't a part of what God's doing. And what is God doing? He is renewing all things. He is bringing peace, that word shalom that we talked about. He's bringing peace back to all things. If there's anything in your life that is sinful and it's not contributing to the thing that God is doing, then you need to crucify it. If there's anything in your life that is bitter right now, I see it in some of your faces. There's like a little stank in your smile. Mad at somebody? Frustrated with somebody? So mad that you're not even really here in the moment? You need to crucify it. If you crucify it, here's what Jesus said. If you hold on to it, if you decide, nope, nope, I want this bitterness. It's my bitterness. I want to be mad. I'm going to be mad. I've been mad for 38 years, and I'm not going to quit today. If you decide that, you can have it. Jesus calls it hell. And Christians can have hell, all the hell they want while they're on earth. Did you know that? You can have all the hell you want. And bitterness is hell. Whether or not you're a Jesus follower or not, you can have it. Or you can hang on to it. Or Jesus says you can crucify it and have life. Have the life he died for. The peace that passes all understanding. The peace that comes when you don't have to sacrifice a goat to wonder how you are with God. You can walk out of here today. Tonight. You can walk out of here tonight with the confidence that God is on your side. But a step further is would you partner with God This is the life you've always wanted. The peace that passes all understanding comes when you get in sync with God. When I was a kid, I used to think of this peace that passes all understanding. You know, I heard about it a lot. We used to sing the song, I got a river of life flowing out of me. And then I got older and the river became sort of like a tap that just drips every now and then. You know, the river of life became this not much life. And I still had Jesus, but I didn't have peace. And I thought maybe it was a gift that Jesus gave me when I obeyed and I did the right thing. And Jesus sprinkled fairy dust on me and made me blessed and peaceful because I did something that made him happy. And that's not the case. The case is this, that since the beginning of time, God has been doing something and all of creation is moving in a direction. And if you're not moving in the direction of crucifying the broken things, the things that don't lead to shalom, if you're moving in a direction of harboring things and holding on to sinful things that cause brokenness in you or harsh, bitter things that cause brokenness in somebody else or whatever it is in your life, if you're, you're going against the flow, and when you go against the flow of what God is doing in life, you can't have peace if you choose. If you choose to go with God, to say, God, I want to partner with you in the pursuit of bringing all things to peace, to bringing all things together, that means I am going to let go of the junk and only pursue the things of you. When you do that, it comes with a byproduct of a peace that passes all understanding. It's available to you today, and it all happened 2,000 years ago, when Jesus put an end to slitting the throat of goats to make sure you were good with God. You can leave here today knowing God is on my side. And you can leave here today in a partnership with him, moving in the right direction. It's amazing what happened 
while Jesus, just before he died, he met with his disciples. And you've heard this story before. They were in this room, and we call it the upper room. And if you're not careful, that just becomes this religious thing that we say before we have communion. But think about this for a minute. Jesus had to rent a room. The disciples had to kind of rent this room that was in a just sort of a house that was at the top of this place. And it was probably hot. And this was the, really the meal that we celebrate today. You know, you think about what God, God's plan in the whole, the whole, all of history. And he says, you know, people are going to have communion. They're going to have this moment where they celebrate this meal that Jesus had. They're going to have this moment for thousands and thousands of years. Why don't we do it in like a cool spot, either outside somewhere or in a palace? Or... God chose a smelly, hot upper room of a rented place. You know why he did that? <laughs> to remind you that it's available to you wherever you are. And these guys got up into this room together, and they didn't know what they were doing. Jesus did. He said, hey guys, they would have reclined around the table. You've heard that word reclined. And I mean, they're not in recliners. They're literally, there's a table that sits pretty low. They still do this in Israel today. It sits pretty low on the ground and you sort of just kind of lean on your shoulder. I did this once and my whole right side of my body fell asleep because this is just not what Americans do when they eat, you know, but this is what they were used to. They would recline, they would lay back and they would have laid back. And as they were laying back, Jesus said, hey guys, pass that bread around. And they would have taken some bread just like this. Probably not exactly like this. I think this is Kroger's latest version. Theirs would have been unleavened. It would have been Jewish. It would have been um, a little bit soggy. If you've ever had that type of bread before, it's a little soggy and it's, it's really kind of chewy and in a good way. It's good. And Jesus would have passed it around. And as he passed it, he said, guys, this is my body, which was which will be broken for you. Like, what? I'm looking at your body, and I don't know what you're talking about. Jesus says, take a little bit, and here's what I want you to do. Every time you get together, I want you to take a little bit of this, and I want you to remember me. All right, Jesus, and all right, guys, whatever Jesus says, right? This is what the disciples, they had no idea what they were doing. And then they passed a cup that looked a lot like this, <laughs> Not even a little bit. Probably would have been wooden, especially in an upper room in a rented place. And it was full of wine. It was wine. It was not grape juice. And they passed it around. And they all took a little bit of drink, and Jesus said, this is my blood. Which maybe they didn't admit it, but that was weird to them. This is my blood, which will be shed for you. When, when you get together, would you take and would you remember me? Why did Jesus do that? Here's why I think he did it. Because he knew you would sit here in Bloomington, Indiana. He knew that you would sit here and you would get so consumed with life that you would kind of forget Good Friday. That you would kind of forget where you stand with God. That you would start to buy into the way humanity feels about God. That somehow you have to keep earning it. That somehow you aren't quite good enough. And that there's just a few more things that I do. He knew that you would feel. So he said, when you get together, take this. Because you, you Northside Christian Church, you have a common union. There is a common thing that you share. That you have been saved by the blood of Jesus and you did nothing to deserve. That's your first common union. Then the second one is this, that you have an opportunity for a partnership with God. 
and moving things towards the peace that he's, he's providing for the world. So tonight, I can't think of a better way to end a Good Friday service than to do what Jesus told us to do. Can you imagine what the disciples would have felt when Jesus died? I wonder if they were sitting around somewhere, standing around somewhere and going, do you think he meant crucifixion when he was talking about? I don't know. I don't know. And then he rose from the dead. And they said, whatever we do, we are going to get together and we are going to take a little bit of this bread and a little bit of this juice and we are going to remember the sacrifice that Jesus made. We're going to give you a chance to do it a little bit differently tonight. Band, you guys can come up. We're going to sing a song. Um, maybe some of you have heard it. Maybe you haven't. Amanda and the band, they've been so good to me. Amanda will send me a text and say, hey, what do you want to sing? What, what do you want for invitation? And I'll say, how about this one? And I'll pull something from a long time ago. And she doesn't have chord charts. And, and they pulled off this song for me tonight. Um, it's a song called Enough. Maybe you've heard it. Um, and the idea is this, that, that Jesus, you're more than enough. Your sacrifice was more than enough. This was all I need in my life. It's all I need. I don't have to do anything. I don't have to be anything. I just accept it right here, right now. I'm going to give you a chance. If you're a Christian person tonight, and most of you are, you're Jesus followers, would you take it a step further? As you take your communion tonight, it's not just about the forgiveness of your sins. It is, and don't miss that. But there is a second part. Would you say this to God? And I don't know what it is for you. Fill in the blank. God, I want to crucify this, whatever it is. Maybe it's bitterness. Maybe it's an habitual sin. Maybe it's a dependence on money or something else other than God. Would you tonight, would you do what Jesus said? Would you take a little bit of bread? Would you take a little bit of juice? Would you thank him for Good Friday, for the sacrifice he made? And then would you say to him, I'm crucifying this thing. And I'm joining you on your endeavor to peace. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to sing this song. And many of you have done this before around here. We're going to sing it. We're going to stand up. And then uh, while we're singing, you just come up and you just take it when you want to. We're not going to pass anything. We're going to take a little bit of bread, a little bit of juice. um, And you come up and you do that at any time you want to. And the band, Amanda's just going to keep playing. You can go back to your seat and sit as long as you want. We do have a service Sunday morning, so maybe before then. You can sit as long as you want, just between you and God tonight, and then you leave when you feel like it's time. I can't think of a better way but to leave in silence, to remember the body and the blood of Jesus that was shed on Good Friday 2,000 years ago. So I'm going to pray. We're going to sing. You can come and take, and that will be the last time we talk to you. You'll be able to just be dismissed as we go. So let's pray together. God, we thank you for the way you love us right here, right now in this building. It's tempting to feel like you loved us 2,000 years ago when Jesus was sent to the cross, but your love for us is right here, right now. Would this be supernatural in us? Would this bread and this juice be real? Would it be tangible? God, thank you. Thank you for including us in the, all the things that you're restoring back to you. Would you be honored by the way we love you tonight? Would you be honored by this group of people who sing that you are enough for us? We thank you for the sacrifice that Jesus made in his son's name, in your son's name. Amen.